44 BC, a benevolent Vince Caesar addresses his people. Candidates, how do I appease these people? Well, Vin Caesar, this year we have a new concept. It's called the Royal Rumblus. Thirty men. One lion's den. And to the victor goes the spoils. Who's victor? Let the rumblus begin! You're listening to... What's the name of this show? Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling Source Radio. Brett screwed Brett. This is Bold One, Andre. I did it for The Rock. Bishop, you turn the camera off and I'll be naked when you come back. Yahtzee. You're welcome. Oh, oh, oh. Go ahead. Welcome everyone, it is the first Wrestling Source Bottle of 2021, Joel Brown your host here and yes, somehow we survived 2020 Uh, and I've come up with a New Year's resolution uh, which is to basically plug the podcast more so please do follow us on all the socials, that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at says source Source as in tomato sauce, S-A-U-C-E, at says sauce. And also uh, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Give us a Meltzer five-star review at the Tokyo Dome. I mean, on iTunes and uh, by um, by people who are putting the five-star reviews there. And, uh, I mean, they could be negative reviews. I'm going to start reading them out on the show. So do hit up iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts wrestling sauce bottle leave us a review there all of it is greatly appreciated because nothing can hurt me now now that i've survived 2020 even if you do give a negative review nothing can hurt me or can it <laughs> and we are in january and uh, what that means for most wrestling fans it is rumble season i'm talking about the royal rumble uh, i think uh, january 29 i think uh, or 30 or 31 i think uh, the latest rumbles about to come upon us but uh, we're going back in time, baby. 15 years ago, actually on January 29, will be the 15-year anniversary, technically. Uh, the Royal Rumble 2006, 15 years ago. And I thought, if I'm going to talk about something that happened 15 years ago when he was in his prime, no, I'm kidding. Uh, here to... <laughs> I can't keep a straight face and say that. I'm sorry, Liz. But no, here to talk about the 15-year anniversary, the retrospective view of WWE Royal Rumble 2006. It is the voice of PWA, Pro Wrestling Australia, Andrew Rose. Rose, hello and welcome. Thank you for having me, Joel. It's great to be back on the show. And yes, we both survived 2020, Mm. the year that was. What's really interesting is... My 2021 resolution is also to plug your podcast more. Isn't that strange? We both have the same New Year's resolution. I feel if you, you know, if 2021 is to get off to any uh, goodness, if that's even a word, everyone needs to be on the same page. And it's uh, great to know that you're on the same page there, Rose. Yeah, yeah, positivity. No, it's um, it's good to be back. And like you said, January is, is kind of like the time for wrestling fans uh, in the mainstream world to kind of wake up out of your hibernation over Christmas mm. and New Year's and uh, everything gets rolling towards WrestleMania. So rumble season for me is very exciting. It's like a, a season premiere almost of the stuff I love. Absolutely. And sometimes the Royal Rumble, and maybe you can attest to this, is kind of more look forward to 
than WrestleMania at times because you have surprise entrance in the Royal Rumble. Sometimes you know you, you just it's all up in the air. Sometimes in the main events you get sort of uh, uh, people vying for the title that you wouldn't necessarily see because they're trying to save that off for a big blow off at WrestleMania. I mean, do you look forward more to Royal Rumble or WrestleMania? It's a good question. It's kind of like um, how sometimes in sports. Uh, the beginning of the playoffs is more exciting than the grand final. Mm. Like you get all the way to the grand final and the grand final has that prestige, but sometimes the game can be a blowout or a bit of a dud, but you get those games in the beginning of the playoffs that really excite you. And there's a lot going on and you're leading towards that final. And I feel that's what the rumble is. It's the beginning of the playoffs for, for WWE. So I love the, I think every wrestling fan loves the rumble. It's way more of a, I say a set novelty than it would be WrestleMania, which changes every year. Mm. I also find the rumble is way more, is way easier to bring non wrestling fans in to watch. I find like the concept of the match, it, there's so much going on to a non fan that I feel they're more drawn in by the concept of rumble than say, Hey, this is WrestleMania. You, you see the set and that's all they really care about. Um, so the rumble is definitely a huge part of the year for wrestling fans. Now, going back 15 years, the 2006 Royal Rumble, what were you doing back in 2006, Rose? I'm glad you asked. I had a little look into what the big beats of 2006 were. We were all dancing to Sexy Back by Justin Timberlake. That song had just uh, dropped at the time. Uh, also, Smack That by Akon. Not as many of us were dancing to that, but still a song that came out. Uh, Christopher Nolan was making The Prestige in 2006, and... Uh, Will Ferrell was still funny. He was doing Talladega Nights at the right. time. Classic. Yeah. Uh, and if, if we look a bit closer to home in Australia, 2006 was the year of the incredible survival of those two miners uh, that oh. were trapped for 14 days in the mine collapse. Yes, yes, Beaconsfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and also it was the tragic loss of Steve Irwin in 2006. I remember oh. our country stopped when Steve Irwin passed away, and I remember watching his funeral live on television. He was such a huge part. And also uh, motor racing legend, Peter Brock. We lost him as well in 2006. So 2006 was, uh, when I looked back at it, an incredible year. I don't remember what I was doing. I have no idea what I was doing, but <laughs> there was a lot going on. But you were a wrestling fan. 2006, being a wrestling fan, what was the landscape? Uh, I, mean, you, you know, I mean, you can touch on Australia here, which not that it wasn't existent, but it was very different to what it is today. But I mean, as a wrestling fan watching WWE, where, where did you see things going? This was an interesting time because I think WWE were trying to land their footing after a couple of big stars were not around anymore. There was no mm. Stone Cold or The Rock at this time. Triple H had a lot of weight on his shoulders. Shawn Michaels had returned. But also, I think, and I'm really glad that you asked me to watch this Rumble. I really enjoyed watching it again. And one of the things about it was, this was the time where we'd lost Eddie Guerrero. Mm. And the sentiment in wrestling was, anyone but Eddie, really. Like, he was such a great guy, an amazing champion, had built up, and he passes away at a time where he was the guy um, I think was a time of pain 
for wrestling mm. fans this time. Um, and it was a time of, I guess, rebuilding. And I guess this uh, Royal Rumble in particular, that was a bit of a theme, uh, a tribute to Eddie. Obviously, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Rey Mysterio going on to win the Royal Rumble and dedicating the match to Eddie. I, because truth be told, this time I was checked out as a wrestling fan. After saying my peak fandom was from about 98 to 2002, got to high school, thought I was a little bit too good to still watch wrestling. Was very much, it was very much on the mark. I kind of picked up on little things, but uh, the death of Eddie Guerrero was one of the things that definitely stunned me as a, being a former wrestling fan at that time in 2000, uh, was 2005, that sort of really stood out. I was like, oh, wow, Eddie Guerrero. And yeah, you're, you're right. I didn't really, and I was like, what, he's the champion? Like, because I'm sort of going back to sort of early WWE to WCW. It's like, oh, he was just a, a cruiserweight guy type of thing. And to know that he had been the champion and obviously had this legacy and sort of re- realistically, if you look at it, um, you know, he was getting older. I think he was about 38 when he passed away and sort of got to the peak of the mountain uh, of wrestling. And then d- he passed away not too long after. Yeah. I, I, I'm really glad that he got to plant that flag at the peak of the mountain. It would have been really sad if he got so close and didn't get to experience that. So I, I'm really glad that he got that iconic moment with Lesnar and everything and, mm. and had that title and had that WrestleMania and stuff. But yeah, this was a time where I think, I don't think you were alone. I think a lot of people had dropped off after this around this time. And I don't know if Eddie brought them back, but there definitely was a sentiment of like, we lost a good one there, um, which happens all too often these days. And I think, yeah, I mean, if I think about it, I was 21. Uh, I mean, I, I yeah, I was I was a touring DJ at the time, so it would have been pretty hard for me to keep up with wrestling as consistently as I do. Like say now or when I was younger, it was probably a phase where I wasn't as intensely into it. But watching back, I you know I knew almost every. I mean, there's a couple of people in the Rumble. I had I was like, who the hell is that? But <laughs> a, a lot of you know a lot of it it felt like home, felt familiar to me, and it was great to go back and watch it. Same here, because I mean, I, I watched it last night and. I, that was the first time I've actually seen the Rumble, um, this show in its entirety. And a lot of fans, they don't look back fondly the show as a whole. I think they look at the Rey Mysterio Rumble win and the whole Eddie tribute fondly. But I think the the show as a whole, uh, not so much. I mean, I actually quite enjoyed the show. I mean, I actually really appreciate going back to shows which wrestling fans have kind of snubbed or given, you know, less than two stars or what have you and trying to pick out the funny things from them but I watched it last night and enjoyed it but I can understand where I guess the wrestling critics were uh, coming from but I guess to uh, give a little bit of a background uh, 2006 uh, January 29 the American Airlines Arena uh, Miami Florida this took place Rose and uh, we played a game uh, late last year called uh, uh, Wiki Hole I'm currently on the Wikipedia for Royal Rumble 2006 so um, this uh, you know, just outing myself with that straight away. But according to Wikipedia, they had uh, 16,000 in attendance. And you know what's crazy? I always compare wrestling uh, attendances to football attendances. And I know you, you probably comparing apples and bricks there, but 16,000 doesn't seem that much. But, you know, when you're trying to compare it to an MCG, which can hold like, what, 90 or 100,000, it sort of, it doesn't compare. Mm. Um, by the way, m- one of my favorite meals, apples and bricks. But yes, I... <laughs> It's, it's an interesting time right now. Um, you know, I play a lot of sports video games and this and watching this show, I watched it last night as well. Even that amount of crowd 
is kind of stunning to me right now where we are in the world with COVID mm, and everything. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's happening. Um, I, I watched it with a couple of my mates who I work, I work for the Big Bash Cricket, uh, and I watched it with a couple of my staff mates. I said, look, I've got to watch this old rumble. I don't know if you guys are wrestling fans, but you're welcome to join me and, and watch it. And a couple of guys came along, and one of the first comments one of them said was, wow, that crowd is massive. And I was like, oh, really? You think so? And he's like, yeah, that's really big. I was like, mate. I should show you a WrestleMania. <laughs> you should see how many people are there. But yeah. they were pretty stunned by how many. I don't know if that's just how we're yeah. uh, programmed now or something, yep. but it felt busy. I mean, just a sort of a bit of a real life situation. I would. I don't know if you'd call it a panic attack or some type of realization. Um, I would. I kind of freaked myself out thinking, are we ever gonna return to something like, uh, you know, I mean, at the the Super Showdown in at the MCG, which I think we got about seventy two thousand there. Are we ever gonna return to that? I mean, I, I feel in my heart we will, but it's gonna be a long road there. Obviously, PWA, you guys have got a show coming up, and we'll touch on that um, shortly. But I just I like because you know I'm a music guy, a sports guy, and a wrestling guy, and just sort of thinking that we're not going to have places where we can have these mass crowds. I mean, New South Wales, where we are, um, you know, most of the time is pretty lucky considering like other countries are just it's absolutely crazy. But I I, I gave myself a panic attack. So just outside of the whole rest this whole wrestling thing, but uh, like getting crowds, it's 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 almost a foreign looking back at things like this now. Yeah. Um... Again, I don't think you're alone in that as well. I think people um, look at it and go, it's hard to imagine it when you're in the world you're in right now where everyone's locked down and wearing masks and all this stuff. Like, will we ever see the light at the end of the tunnel? The answer is yes. The, 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 the important question is how long is that going to take? Obviously, mm. no, no one really knows at the moment. We will see crowds again. And, you know, I've worked in sports for a long time and I miss sitting at the SCG working a Swans game and it is sold out and packed mm. and everyone's yeah. going wild. I miss that too. But, I mean, we did a game the other night with 4,500 people in Canberra, um, restricted numbers, and even that was great. And people yeah. were really into it, singing, cheering along, getting into it. It will return. It's hard to see right now, but it will, it will come back. But it might not be how we remember it. I think we'll, as a people, we'll learn a lot from this pandemic and might... Uh, some of that stuff might stay with us once we move on. Like, I don't know about you, but I love uh, sanitizing my hands now. Every chance <laughs> I get to, like, squeeze a bit of that stuff and wipe my head. Because people used to be considered, oh, he's a clean freak if mm. he did that. But now it's not. I love it. Oh, my hands are clean. Oh, I, I do it all day. <laughs> do you uh, sing uh, Hit Me Baby one more time from uh, Britney Spears? What do you sing? What's your uh, singing song for doing the hands? I do the whole first verse of Scatman. Uh, I sing Scatman. That's that's a good one. Um, I I like to mix it up a little bit. I did was doing the Britney Spears "Hit Me Baby" one more time, but sometimes I like to have a bit of Australiana. I try to do like um, "Long Way to the Top," like riding down the highway, washing my phalanges. Like you know, I try to you know mix that up a little bit. But I tell you what, uh, you touch on you know um, you know when we do get back to some form of normality, we will uh, learn. Uh, we'll learn. You know, we'll learn, look back and learn from what we had to what we did have in future, what we will have. But I guess we look back uh, 2006, uh, the Cruiserweight division. Now, because I'm so removed from this era of WWE, and I can only kind of look back at it and see for how it was represented, how was the crew, how did you interpret this WWE Cruiserweight division? Because we kick off the Royal Rumble with a uh, six-man open challenge, Kid Cash defending his uh, Cruiserweight title against Funaki, Jamie Noble, Nunzio, and Paul London and Gregory Helms. 
Yeah, this was, um, this was interesting. You know, starting the show with this was a bit of a culture shock for me. I went, oh, wow. Wow. I mean, I haven't heard of Paul London for quite a while. I was like, oh, Paul <laughs> London. And I don't really remember. I, I'm going to sound ignorant here, but I don't really remember Kid Cash that well. I think it was a small time that he wasn't, I, I, from memory, I don't think he was there for that long. And he, uh, you know, kind of was one of those guys that was, you know, uh, saddled in that division and didn't really last long perhaps yeah there was a couple of names in there i'm like i don't know this guy as well as sadie other I, I get so excited when i see finucky because uh, mm. uh, you know he's a commentator now he's a great dude and even though there was some of the names in this match that i'm not too sure i loved this match mm. like they went for it uh, i think at one point london did this brain buster that made me jump out of my chair like and the, my sports mates who don't watch wrestling was like, oh, that looked like it hurt. I'm like, it's probably because it did. <laughs> like, it was very intense. I mean, it only went for about seven minutes, 40 seconds, but I'm pretty, yeah, you touched on Paul London there. I'm pretty sure he did like a shooting star press uh, out of the ring. I'm pretty sure he like almost whacked his head on like, uh, even, though, even though the protected uh, matting, uh, you know, still would hurt. Uh, but I, I, he I did a impressed. shooting star face yeah. plant, like yeah. face first into the concrete, off the top rope to the outside insane like crazy height and then land and caught his fall with his own face and i guess sort of history sort of uh was i was trying to get your opinion on i guess sort of uh, the way they look back at this cruiserweight division because it's very much in the afterglow of the classic wcw cruiserweight division which is even to this day people high in they hold in such high esteem and but looking at the talent that was just in this match i mean Great talent, but was sort of a bit dogged and uh, how they're reviewed in history. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's tough for this cruiserweight division because they were always compared to the WCW cruiserweight division, and like you said, that was a historic division. Uh, so many great people came out of that division, and I think they got uh, a rough trot. Uh, I, I think the problem they had in the WWE cruiserweight division, excuse me, is they didn't have that many strong characters. Mm. There was a lot of strong wrestlers. But if you look at this matchup, there, there wasn't a huge amount that was defining these guys or separating them from each other. And I think maybe the issue in WWE was they didn't put enough time into the cruiserweight division. They just mm. thought, let's get I some good it. cruiserweights yeah. and put it on and we'll compete with WCW, but we don't really care about it that much. And you can kind of feel that here. And I guess WCW, they had the likes of Mike Tanay, who would kind of come back and really give it that sport analyst type of uh, viewpoint and give it like, a bit of credibility. Can you imagine? I think he was fired by this time or let go. Kept, like, can you imagine if a Kevin Kelly was just brought in just to kind of give a bit of background on the, the Cruiserweight guys and sort of do a bit of a Mike Tanay role? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think WCW did a good thing of saying, and now this, this is the Cruiserweight division. Check this out. This is different to everything else we do. Um, and I think they were good at featuring that and getting you interested. Um, speaking of commentators, I'm just going to come out and say this early in the show. I know there's someone listening who's going to get really annoyed by this. Taz does not do it for me. <laughs> Doesn't do it for you. I, I, I like, I like, uh, the, the Michael Cole, uh, Taz, uh, duo personally. Oh boy. Like, I, look, it, it, he made me really like Michael Cole. I'll say that, but. <laughs> There's just something about Taz's kind of Russo-esque bro, bro, bro thing that just <laughs> enough. Okay, I get it. Enough with the bros. But he, um, I don't know. He just ha he's got a style that kind of just doesn't 
gel with me. And and there was certain times in this show I was like, all right, Taz, chill. I get it. That's just me. <laughs> well, Gregory Helms, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Shane Helms, Sugar Shane Helms uh, from uh, the Three Count Days, uh, of, of course, the Hurricane. He gets the win, uh, 740 there, new Cruiserweight champion. And then we go to... One of three segments, which is probably, if you look back at it in time, is the most awkward and so 2006 and so far from where WWE is now with the women division and Vince McMahon in general. Um, but something I do miss that I, I think they should capitalize more on is the actual uh, the Royal Rumble draw, having their uh, players or the superstars come in and pick their numbers. I don't think we've seen that for some quite time. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, Rose. But we kick off with uh, Randy Orton and uh, Triple H. But uh, well, actually, let's go back a little bit before that. Uh, Vince McMahon with Tori Wilson. Victoria and Candice. Um, this, uh, mm. this moment really kind of, I think it's, it's an interesting moment. And uh, there was a lot of discussion when this happened. Three gorgeous women. And, and, and I understand that Vince at this time is playing almost a Trump-esque horndog character, right? Mm-hmm. He's this horny boss. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's probably my least favorite of the Vince characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell he's loving it, though. Yeah. Um, and I get that he's leaning into it to get a reaction. I understand that. But like you said, absolutely dated. Like, you look at it in 2021 and you're like, is this really what women's wrestling was back then? Mm-hmm. But I didn't look at it as a negative. I looked at it as how good is it that we've evolved from this? Because yeah. you look yeah. at WWE now and women are headlining the shows they're a huge part of wrestling they're taken seriously like they should be they're incredible athletes just like the men and this time shows you how far we've actually come instead of getting angry at something that happened 15 years ago i was happy about how we are now comparatively I'm glad you, you bring that up. And, I mean, if there's one thing that, uh, some, I mean, most of the time, or well, some of the time, uh, looking back at these old, uh, whether it be uh, ruthless aggression or attitude error type of uh, stuff, obviously that it's all in the network. You can go back there and see most of it that they haven't censored themselves. But I think you're right. I think we're very, as a society, and, you know, I'm not trying to make this a political statement or a, just a general statement, but, I mean, we're very quick to this cancer culture and is very uh, like if something that happened in the past is obviously well outdated and is not with the, the morals of today's society, we're very quick to kind of wipe it and get rid of it. But I think with things like this, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. You can look at this and be like, all right, that was 2006. That was what was kind of accepted for the most part, whether that be right or wrong. But as a society, we've moved forward and we understand that that's not the case. And like you said, the women are, uh, are looked upon much differently. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, I think I wish more people would do that when they see something they don't like, say, from 10, 15 years ago. And just because the narrative now has changed, they suddenly don't like that. I, it, I wish more people could just go, all right, that was then, but this is now. And this is how we are going forward. And if Vince came out now and did what he did on that segment, He'd be vilified by everyone in media, rightfully so. But this is 15 years ago. So you you can kind of step back and go, okay, he was clearly playing a character, but this would not happen now. But I do agree with you that this got like uh, almost like bingo-esque rolling of the balls and then pulling out your number. I loved this through Mm. this show and I wish they would do it more, especially the face that Triple H made when he pulled out his (laughs) thing and got number one. 
Mm. Uh, and Randy Orton, who I swear isn't aging, played a really good kind of foil to that. And I loved, I loved that setup. And they don't show you the number; you just yeah. get the reactions, and you go, "Oh God, what does that mean?" So I really loved this. My favorite part was where uh, Triple H goes, "Hey Tori, could you open your box for me?" Oh my God! Oh, when you get a 2006 gets- joke. And then he goes to Candace. Hey, Candace, can you hold my ball? Oh, my God. He's, he's, he's facial hair at this time as well. He's like full-on handlebar mustache and the long yeah. hair. I feel like his nose was even bigger back then as well. Massive. Maybe it's the mustache that, like, accentuates it. But this was quite the Triple H at this time. I always remember Mick Foley when he uh, was the commissioner back in the day. He would always make fun of Triple H. He would put, like, his hand... Uh, to his forehead and his thumb under his nose to accentuate his nose and be like, well, uh, I'm the gamer. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, we're talking about women's wrestling uh, in the next match. Uh, Mickey James taking on Ashley, who just recently won the uh, Diva Search, uh, which in in some type of, I guess, looking back at it, it's quite sad now, now knowing that Ashley is no longer with us. But I guess to put in um, to a context this uh, angle, um, Trish Stratus, the women's champion, she's the referee, and this is the time when Mickey James is the crazed fan. At this point, still, uh, I guess she's kind of looked at as a bit of a face, just a bit of a, a weird fan for Trish Stratus. But before the match even starts, Mickey James professes her love for Trish Stratus, and it was really odd for me watching this back because I got it. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember this actually. But we kind of almost saw this either 2019 or early 2020 with uh, Lana and Liv Morgan, which kind of got scrapped quite early in the piece. But looking back at this, it's like, I guess, were they trying to rehash this? It was a, an interesting type of uh, angle. It reminds me as well of a, a, a certain phase of AJ Lee's career where she mm. was almost like a bit of an obsessed fan. She was doing it to, to John Cena and CM Punk, but a similar kind of thing, like, I love you. Oh, thank you. What does that mean? There was a lot of that in that moment. Uh, I My first thought was, damn, Mickey James is good. Like, she's still wrestling now yeah. and she's still great. She doesn't look a day older as well. She still looks incredible. And um, for me, I was just like, man, Mickey James has got to be like one of the best female wrestlers for sure and underappreciated, I think. Um, and she played her role great here, I think. And I think it was a sign of the times as well, what they would do a lot of was they would have, I guess, a female talent that would have much more experience than their opponent and try to, I guess, walk them through a match. Uh, 7.44 is how long this went for, but apparently it went about uh, four four minutes over because um, apparently, obviously, Trish Stratus being the uh, referee, she was, she didn't have an earpiece to give them cues, so they actually went over in this match uh, for uh, a, a, match, a match that went seven minutes and 44 seconds. Wow, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, way too long. Because oh. yeah. <laughs> I think there were some awkward spots there, but um, I guess, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, not, I mean, if, if Trish Stratus had an earpiece, maybe that would have helped a little bit. But I mean, when you got Mickey James, I guess, trying to walk Ashley through a match, it, uh, I mean, and lots of fans have looked back at Ashley and said she wasn't a wrestler. She was more like a valet or like a, a, a character. Yeah, they gave her a chance here. And, and, and I mean, it was fine. But what I, what I noticed in this match as well, and someone that was sitting with me said was, there's empty seats in the arena. Like, where? We're mm. second match into the show, and not everyone's even in the building yet. Uh, it seems like a lot of people at this time took wrestling for granted. 
And yeah. there was so much of it. You could go to shows all the time in America. And you could just show up late to the Royal Rumble. Like, if they did a Royal Rumble now with crowds, that would not happen. I guess, I don't know if it's a reflection on where the Divas division was at the time, and it could be a very chauvinistic thing, but I've, I've heard it among a lot of wrestling fans, oh, women's match, oh, it's a piss break. Like, and, and I know that's, you know, the wrong attitude to have, but I mean, a lot of people saw it that way. Yeah, I mean, back then there was that joke of it's the bathroom break, but even I think it's just like, we had the Cruiserweight match before this, we have this match, and even in the match following this, there was still, an, it wasn't until the Rumble really stopped going, got mm. going, that we had a full arena. And then even at the end of the show, and we'll get to the end of this long show, that last match, there's empty seats. People have left early. So I just think it was a time where the world thought nothing's ever going to stop this. We're just going to have wrestling forever and we can go to whatever we want. I mean, it's, it's crazy to look at now, but yeah, I just couldn't believe it. Mickey James picks up the victory there. Uh, obviously, uh, a very hesitant Trish Stratus does the three count, and Mickey James is all over Trish Stratus. And classic Jerry Lawler. This is not the Attitude Era, but classic line from the King here. He goes, oh, "I feel like I, I feel like I need a cigarette after that match." <laughs> oh my god, Jerry Lawler. I mean, that guy. He gets away with murder. They do. Segment two, uh, it's another uh, Royal Rumble draw here, and uh, we've got Vince again, awkward, with the uh, three girls, Candace, Victoria, and Tori Wilson. They're talking about tattoos, and I think this is when Victoria comes around and she has one of those really badly uh, pasted on, um, like, cloth, wet cloth tattoos that's uh, there, and I think Vince says, oh, you've got a crack in yours. <laughs> oh, my God, this is all so bad. Yeah. Like, this horn dog Vince... <laughs> Is my least favorite Vince. He's just the worst. The the good thing to come out of this, we do get a, a quick segment with the Big Show and Rey Mysterio. Obviously, Rey Mysterio draws his number. We now know in retrospect that he gets number two, and sort of really saying that you know he hoped that uh, Eddie is looking out for him and kind of looks up uh, at the sky or up at the ceiling to say you know he's got his back. Yeah, this was interesting because I liked how they did this because him kind of seeing his number and looking up and getting emotional about Eddie could have meant he got 30. It could have meant he got number one. You don't quite know from that whether this is good or bad news. He just gets emotional and looks up at the sky to Eddie, which which uh, was a theme they ran with very much through this show for, uh, for Ray, and I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, the one thing, uh, you know, again, with the sports guys that were sitting, not wrestling fans watching with me, when Ray and Big Show were face-to-face, they did not believe that that's how tall Big Show was. They're mm. like, no, he's got to be standing on something. I'm like, no, no, he's that <laughs> tall. And they're like, well, how short's the other guy? I'm like, very short. And they're like, they didn't believe that that was the real dimensions of Big Show and Ray. And it's such a great image, them face-to-face. Because he comes up to Big Show's like belly button. And it's almost subconsciously telling the fans, how is this little dude going to win a rumble against guys this size. It was great kind of subliminal storytelling, I thought. It also takes me back to the early days of uh, the wrestling games where the the range was Rey Mysterio to Big Show, and that's how you could decide when you create a wrestler how big or small. Like, you could, that, that, was your, that was the gauge. Love that. It's great. <laughs> Mate, uh, I, uh, we get an absolutely sensational match uh, next. The Boogie Woogie Man, as I like to call him, are taking on JBL with Gillian Hall. And I guess the background on this match was uh, that Gillian Hall had a mole on her face and the Boogie Man ate that off her face. So obviously you get put into a uh, pay-per-view match straight away. Funny enough, the debut pay-per-view for the Boogie Woogie Man. Um... <laughs> I guess this was like... 
at the time, the Boogeyman was like a new novelty for WWE. Like, yeah. We kind of yeah, know he, him now, but at the point, everyone wanted to see him. He got a fair bit of TV time uh, back in the day, I do believe. Uh, and even um, going on to WrestleMania of uh, this of this timeline, taking on Booker T at WrestleMania 22. So he had his little, um, his little uh, I guess, run, as they say. But um, this was, uh, I guess this was a bit of a let-up sort of match. Uh, the boogeyman getting out his worms and obviously dropping the worms uh, on Jillian Hall and uh, pretty much squashing uh, JBL here. If you had to do your best Vince McMahon to 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 JBL of what you want him to do, like you need to put the boogeyman over, how would that sound? Do you think? I think that the conversation would be more with uh, Jillian uh, <laughs> than, than JBL. JBL is just doing his job, but I want to be in the room where Vince is like, and then he's gonna get on top of you, and then he's gonna spit the worms out of his mouth, and it's gonna go all over your face. It's gonna be good shit. It's going to make great television. I, I, I think that's the conversation he had to have with her because she'd just be like, True. Uh, okay. But she took it like a champ. I mean, she took worms on the face like a champ. <laughs> to the face. Uh, yeah. Yes, and, no. So that was, the, that was, that was weird. And uh, I'll tell you what's weird. We get our final segment of the, uh, the the Royal Rumble draw, and this time it is with Shelton Benjamin's mum, uh, Melina and Eminem. And they both promise here that they're going to eliminate Shawn Michaels because uh, going on, there's a feud there with Vince McMahon and Shawn Michaels. And uh, how did you see this segment? I mean, still horny Vince here with the girls, uh, but uh, this is when Shelton Benjamin had his mum. I, I kind of forgot about this, um, Shelton Benjamin, his mum, until she showed up and I was like, who's this now? And then <laughs> I didn't know what's going on. And then Shelton came in and went, oh, okay. And I was really happy to see Shelton because I think he's fantastic. And, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, that, I'm assuming that's not his real mum. Yeah, no, we'll have to look into that. But I mean, uh, he, I mean if why that's would it just, <laughs> That's true. If it's not his real mum... He kissed that actor like on the lips like four times during this show. That is a dedication. So he was kissing his mama when he's running to the rumble. He's kissing his mama in this backstage show. I mean, he really lived the bit. Well, you, you, you don't kiss your mama on the lips? Well, I've never done it on live television, Joel. I'll tell you that much. I've, I've definitely never had someone who isn't my mama and said, this is my mama, and then kissed them on the lips. That's for sure. Yes, it was an interesting time for Shelton. I'm glad that he had something to do, but it felt very hokey, this whole thing. It was cool to see Melina and Eminem, a young John Morrison, but and uh, who's his tag team partner? Um, Joey Mercury. Yeah, Joey Mercury. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, liked, I liked seeing them, but this was probably the weakest of the three bits. What do you, what do you mean? There was three women in there? Aha, give me another woman, Melina. Oh my god! Is is this the one where he sat down on the couch at the end, and the three women had to like awkwardly sit like almost on top of Vince, or was that yeah. the one before? I can't no, remember. That was this one. <laughs> oh my god! It's just the most. Oh, I feel dirty. And by this time, it really threw me off a little bit because I'll get in. They get all right. Let's sit down and watch the rumble. But I'm like, oh, hang on. You got some title matches and that because I'm so used to. I'm so preconditioned as a fan to for the Royal Rumble to either be the main event or at least second to the, the main title or the main event of that. But the Royal Rumble is actually the fourth match, I believe, or on this card with uh, the two titles happening after the Royal Rumble. And a lot of wrestling fans think that this was sabotage on the 
the on the WWE's part that they they weren't quite weren't quite uh, all in with Rey Mysterio, thinking that I guess he's Royal Rumble could main event the show, but. In reflection, looking back at this, because I mean, the two title matches after this is uh, John Cena and Edge. Edge had just recently won the WWE title with the first cash-in of the Money in the Bank. And then, more oddly, main eventing was Kurt Angle, Mark Henry. But then, obviously, the the, the post-match was a lead-up for the next pay-per-view. But uh, just bear with me. Maybe it wasn't so much a, a reflection on Ray, but it was a reflection on, hey... Edge is just a new champion. New champion. We want to give him a bit of a higher spot on the card, and I guess there was rumors going around that potentially either Mark Henry or Kurt Angle were going to finish the WrestleMania streak. So maybe they were trying to sort of, I guess, in order of you know trying to build things, and it just unfortunately that the Rumble fell at this point for Ray. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think what's interesting as a fan watching a wrestling show, coming from experience of working in a wrestling company, is the fans will sometimes see something happen in a show and say, oh, they've done that for this reason. And sometimes the whole story doesn't make sense until you see the whole show. Mm. Because I know we're jumping ahead here, but the end of the show uh, where, where Kurt Angle is confronted by The Undertaker and the ring collapses, you can't do that in the middle of a show. What, are you going to rebuild the ring for the yeah. next match? You can't do that. So what they're planning to do at the end of the show destroys the ring. So... Uh, I, I did have a feeling in the middle here, it reminded me of the year where Shinsuke Nakamura won the Rumble and the Men's Rumble was in the middle of the show. Mm. And as a huge Shinsuke fan, I was like, why did this not headline? But then when you watch the whole show, you realise that the Women's Royal Rumble is the main event. And that makes total sense as the first Women's Royal Rumble to be the main event. So there is those times where you go, oh, my boy Shinsuke is not getting respect. No, it's because it does, this is where it fits in the grand mm. scheme of the show. And I think... This was a great example. You could look at this and go, oh, they don't respect Ray. No, they just have to destroy a ring at the end of the show. And let's be honest, at this time, The Undertaker leading into WrestleMania is the biggest thing in wrestling. Although it would have been great to see Ray have that emotional finale to the show, and it probably would have been a better ending to the show. There's just no way you can do that Undertaker spot and destroy a ring, and then it just reappears normal, like at the next match. So... I think it was just purely logistical that that happened that way. But yeah, it is It is always weird to see a rumble in the middle of a rumble show. It should be the headliner. I agree with you. But tell you what, they made up for it to kick off the rumble. We had the Spirit Squad, a future uh, Dolph Ziggler in there uh, doing some great uh, cheerleading. This was, uh, this was interesting. I, I liked it in hindsight because they're just a heat magnet, these boys. They come mm-hmm. out there, jump around, dance around. I love the um, big gramophone he's like yelling it into the announcer's ear while she's trying to announce i just something about this looking back made me enjoy it a lot more than i probably would have watching that live i kind of like the spirit squad i kind of i kind of miss them in a weird way and it, yes it is weird to see someone as great as Dolph Ziggler doing something so silly but that's wrestling baby <laughs> and we kick off the rumble and who gets number one but the game triple h he spat the water and all my sports mates were like hey that was cool when he spat the water like that like, yeah <laughs> that's yeah you're getting part. into it now aren't you <laughs> yeah so yeah triple h starting it out staunch and number two ray mysterio and he Tributing this rumble to Eddie comes out in the the low rider, does the uh, the hydraulics thing where the car jumps up and down. Great stuff. Puts the Eddie Guerrero t-shirt on the the, the front of the uh, the front screen of the the low rider. Great stuff there. And pretty much, I guess, 
there's always uh, multiple stories in a rumble that's getting told. You'd have to say this is the main one, which is Triple H and Rey Mysterio kind of being the Iron Men of this rumble. Basically, I think Triple H was uh, the second last eliminated. And from all accounts, from when I was doing my research, it basically came down to these two guys because pre this, Batista was uh, a, a, was a potential to win this rumble and go on and face Randy Orton uh, at WrestleMania. That was a, that was a rumor. I mean, like, they go together like peanut butter and jelly but obviously he's injured and i think that's it was between these two guys triple h and ray mysterio which if you look sort of forward it kind of wouldn't have made a difference if one of those two won the the rumble because john cena and triple h would main event wrestlemania 22 and ray mysterio would be in that triple threat with orton and kurt angle but this was the main story these two guys being in there from the beginning wouldn't you say i think these two worked beautifully together through this whole rumble and they really kind of kept each other going like what no matter what you think of triple h he's an incredible hand and wrestling mm. and he I, I feel like he turned to Ray and he was like I, i'm with you this whole way to pull off what we're going to try and pull off here i'm with you 100 percent the whole way he bumped like a champion the whole time and made ray look like a million bucks because there was moments throughout this entire rumble match where it came back to the two of them obviously they did it early but they would just do these sequences here and there where they, the, the focus would just come back to Triple H and Ray, Triple H and Ray, Triple H and Ray. Mm. And they just had this amazing chemistry through this whole rumble, really propped each other up. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting you say what they were planning to do because it seems like Vince and Triple H have a real boner for an Orton-Batista match at WrestleMania. <laughs> Even though no one really wants it, those two guys just really want that match to happen. Uh, and, you know, as we remember, the, the, all the Daniel Bryan stuff as well, like they've tried to force that through so many times, which is, I'm glad they didn't go with that. Ray totally made sense here. And number three, Simon Dean, a.k.a. Nova of old ECW fame. I think he, the gimmick was he was a health instructor or, you know, uh, he had his own shakes of, of sorts and... He didn't last uh, too long in there. I think 45 seconds, it says here on Wikipedia, eliminated by both Triple H and Rey Mysterio. Excuse my ignorance. Was he the guy on the Segway? That was that Simon Dean, baby. Oh, the Segway. I didn't even know Segways were a thing 15 years ago. That, <laughs> that, that blew my mind. I thought that was more recent. Uh, number four, Psychosis. And one thing that kind of struck me was, I mean, this might have been a personal thing uh, on the performer of Psychosis, um, not having his mask from the WCW days, because I'm pretty sure in Ray's contract it was, I'm bringing back the mask or something along those lines. And I always remember, I feel... You know, there's that saying that sometimes wrestlers need the championship or they make the championship or the championship makes them. I kind of feel with psychosis, the mask made him. Yeah, that's a good point. I think there's a lot a lot of prestige behind those masks and stuff. And I felt the same way when Ray took his mask off in WCW. It's like uh, kind of weakened him a little bit in my eyes. Like uh, this is not the same Ray. That The mask is his source of power of, 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 kind of and. Yeah, it is always awkward when wrestlers unmask when you know them masked so well. Like, there's been some wrestlers that have obviously unmasked when they debuted in WWE, so that's kind of different. I've only ever known them without the mask. But, mm. yeah, it is, it, is a, it is kind of like a culture shock. Even, and we'll get to this later in the show, uh, one of the wrestlers that the guys that I worked, uh, like was watching the show with do know is Kane. And when the music started, like, oh, it's Kane. And then he walked out without a bus. They're like, wait, who's that guy? Like, That's Kane. And they're That's like, great. oh, did he take his mask off? They're like, yeah. Like, oh. yeah. It lessened it for them. 
it's like it's this weird weird mystique the mask mm, yeah it is less is more boys that's that's <laughs> the rule there uh, psychosis doesn't last long. Uh, minute fifteen, re- uh, eliminated by Ray Mysterio. But number five, woo! Uh, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, looking looking in peak condition, didn't he? Just uh, just uh, striding down to the ring. Well, more like you know, kind of strolling down to the ring. He 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 looked old here. Yeah, he did. I, didn't I don't he? know. I think he only had a short amount in the ring. He was mainly with Triple H. You could see the kind of friendship respect they did you know the eye pokes and you know they're they're having fun together those two guys doing the rick flesh stick but then he was out of there pretty quick like and i think that was at this time probably the most he could have probably done in this rumble but i think it was really nice to have rick in here because he was another man who had won that rumble from those disadvantaged beginning positions 92 yeah. Um, yeah so it was nice to see his influence over the next generation and be a part of a match where Ray went all the way as well. So I thought that was a nice little touch. Coming in at number six, Big Show. I always love to see the Big Show because, you know, I always remember all the old school commentators back in the day. Oh, well, the biggest guy's got to win it. You know, like the Bobby Heenans of the world and uh, Gene Oakland's be like, well, you know, size is going to, you know, mean that you're going to win the thing. Big Show, he was uh, quite serviceable here. Yeah, I uh, again, I keep... Uh, I keep talking about the guys I watch this with because they really are sports guys that don't watch wrestling. And one of them is a great man, Ross. He's in his 60s. He's the stats guy, statistics guy for Cricket Australia. His job is just to give you the numbers of every great player. And he turned to me and he said, when Big Show walked out, he said, how are they going to get him out of the ring? And I went, I don't know, Ross. I don't know how they're going to get that guy out of the ring. He's huge. And he went, yeah, well, they've got to go over the top rope, right? And touch the outside. I went, that's right. He goes, oh, it's going to take to get multiple people to chuck this guy out. And I went, oh, I don't know if they can work. It's every man for themselves, Ross. And he was like, oh, this should be interesting. He was just so into that. Now. Like, I know as wrestling fans, we hear it every year. Who could eliminate this man? But when you, when you talk to someone who doesn't watch wrestling, that was his reaction. It is a real-world reaction. And I loved that when he said that. I was like, oh, I don't know, man. He's probably going to win. <laughs> and someone who I, uh, I kind of low-key was uh, barracking for, Jonathan Coachman, coming in at number seven. Uh, he was never a wrestler. He was always a commentator, right? Mm-hmm. That's, I think so, yeah. <laughs> and he looked like it getting in that ring. Uh, let me just say this. As a commentator, commentators should never get in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in a rumble. I, I, I would never go anywhere near one of our rumbles. That, that's so dangerous. So I, I always get nervous when a commentator jumps in a ring. I'm like, don't do it. You've got a sweet job on the outside. It doesn't hurt. Uh, well, he's not well. Uh, he's not long for this uh, rumble. Thirty seconds eliminated by the Big Show. But I tell you what, the next guy who, looking over this Royal Rumble as a whole, was you know how there's usually the the, the Iron Man spot. There's the most elimination spot, and then obviously your winner. There's probably a couple other categories that I've probably missed, but. I'd have to say the featured guy of this rumble, and he didn't really last overly that long, was Bobby Lashley. Number eight, by the way. Number eight. Yeah, Bobby Lashley. Um, jacked. He was absolutely jacked. He, there was a discussion at this point about, is that guy juicing? He can't really look <laughs> like that. Like, you know, from the non-wrestling fans, like, come yeah. on. Someone yeah. doesn't actually look like that. And I went, well, believe it or not, he still looks like that. <laughs> he's still that jacked and he's, you know, he's, he's still wrestling and, you know, part of it all right now and stuff. And uh, he, he was a star in this. I think they were trying to build him up at this point, right? He was kind of yeah. new. 
And I mean, he, he lasts under five minutes, but I mean, he was suplexing the likes of uh, Kane, who comes in after him at number nine, the Big Show, when uh, beating on Rey Mysterio and Triple H, who's the, you know the, the guy. And I kind of thought, oh, maybe maybe they're going for him as the uh, the most eliminations because he gets uh, six while he's uh, in there. But yeah, but he wasn't in there for that long. But um, he was the really only star who can say, well, they kind of featured besides the main story, which they'll tell in, which he was with Triple H. Uh, in Rey Mysterio, and a little bit later with Shawn Michaels. Yeah, totally. I, I, I think they, um, they, there was a definite intent to make Bobby Lashley look destructive, explosive, um, dangerous, but inexperienced. And, and because of that, he was eliminated in the Rumble. But like you said, if he'd had a couple more years under his belt uh, in the story, he, he probably could have lasted longer if he got a better number. If he'd come out at, at 26 or 27 with that same aggression, he probably easily could have won it. So I think it was really good storytelling there to say, look how dangerous this guy is. Imagine what he's going to be like in 10 years kind of mm. thing. So, uh, and then with that, that spot where he hurled Big Show over his shoulder, insane. Like Big mm. Show, that whole ring, oh, they almost broke the ring there. <laughs> like it, it's crazy. Big Show's so big. Uh, but yeah, Bobby Lashley, impressive. Number nine, Kane. And people always go back to the 2001 Royal Rumble where Cade was so destructive. I think he had about like 11 eliminations, which was a record up until that point. Uh, not so much with uh, this uh, this particular Rumble. Only in there for under four minutes. Uh, only got the, the one elimination. But uh, you said your friend there was like, oh, yeah, Cade, and be like, who's this guy? Like, yeah, it was. Uh, it's always a bit confronting to see Cade without his mask if you're not used to it. But, mm. you know, that, this led to that fantastic spot which made my mates uh, jump out of their chairs, which was when... Triple H eliminated both of them, uh, both yeah. Big Show and Kane over the top rope. So Roscoe's gone from, oh, who can eliminate this guy? To, wow, Triple H eliminated him and the other big guy? Wow, this Triple H guy's pretty good. And you're just like, yes, it's working. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> it reminded me of a uh, an old spot in the Rumble where, I think it was 96, when Shawn Michaels would go on to win it. Vader and I think it might have been, it was either Vader and Viscera, or I think Mabel, he was known as at the time. It was a similar spot. They were kind of both, you know, on the on the the side of the ring, leaning over, and Shawn Michaels basically just ran up and pushes them over. Yeah, it's a great spot, and it it, uh, it uh, did a great thing here. It told it told a good story. The Triple H is still not just hanging on, but still eliminating people, which is crazy. And uh, number ten, what does uh, Sylvan's story tell you? Uh, Last in eighteen seconds. Sylvan, uh, he was the guy in the white trunks. He kind of looked like a Dutch raver, right? Yeah, He's like he man. came out to like dance music and stuff. I liked the thing I liked about Sylvan. I don't know much about him, but I like how was it lastly that he punched in the face and then immediately went whoa and put the hands up like <laughs> hey don't punch me back and then punched him again. I love that strategy. If I ever get into a fight, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to punch the guy. I want to punch the guy and then go whoa and then punch him again. That's such a great strategy. <laughs> Didn't work though. Nah, 18 seconds and he's uh, out of here. Thanks for coming. Number 11, Carlito. And uh, he had a bit of a stint in this rumble, just under 40 minutes. He was uh, there towards the end. Another great hand. He did really well in this match and went pretty close. I think like close to the final four or like close to the end there. Mm. Uh, it was good to see him because I know we were having a chance to see him recently on WWE and it, and it fell through because of travel and stuff. So it was good to watch a bit of Carlito. I like Carlito. His hair was fantastic. Do you think it's too late for the likes of a Carlito to come back, whether it be at an AEW or WWE and be a kind of main eventer? Or has his, I mean, he's a lot older now. Has his time sort of come and gone? I, I, I'm going to say no to that because if this year's taught me anything is that anything is possible. But like 
No one was talking about the return of MVP a year and a half ago. Mm. And he has come back and not only shone in his return, but he has created a faction that has put three other guys up on a pedestal that they've never been on before, mm. including who's the guy with the mama? I forgot his Sean Benjamin. Sean Benjamin <laughs> has returned in that same group, the Hurt Business, and done great things. So MVP has proven to me that it's never too late to come back and have a really solid spot. I mean, Goldberg's back. Anyone can come back at this point and, and challenge for a belt or do stuff. So, yes, I absolutely think Carlito could potentially have another run, but it's all about their fitness, really. Well, I'll be that guy. Someone who's definitely not going to come back. Uh, number 12. Chris Benoit. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Continue. Yeah, no, no, no I, I like it. Best segue so far on this episode, Joel. Well, look, I'm obviously the Beyond the Mat documentary on what happened with Chris Benoit. It's a, it's one of the biggest tragedies I think in wrestling, uh, probably second to Owen Hart, um, but. Such a, especially, I mean, I'm big WCW Mark here, you know, and just his time there and obviously his time in WWE, he was just such a, a great performer, a great, he was a wrestler, he was a wrestler's wrestler and just obviously how it ended, it just leaves that bad taste in your mouth. You're like, oh, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting when he entered because, you know, um, I haven't watched any Benoit match for a long, long time um, and I know WWE avoid putting a lot of them on their network, but you can't really avoid it when he's an entry rumble, you can't just cut out a big uh, chunk of a rumble. So when he entered, I w- this is a very interesting conversation I had with the people in the room with me, because you start to talk about the dark side of the industry. And, you know, obviously, you know, he's taking the life of his wife and kids and then taking his own life was such a confronting thing. And, you know, when you see him in the ring here, that it's coming, yeah. it's on its way. And maybe the pain he's feeling from Eddie's loss is building here which is hard to watch. Uh, the pop he got was huge. Mm. Like at the time, they loved this man uh, and he'd won the Rumble the year before, if I remember correctly. So um, he was kind of that prestige in this event and, uh, you know, nice in the middle kind of spot. But, man, watching it, I just can't, I can't get behind him. Like yeah. I know some people love Chris Benoit for what he did as a wrestler, but fuck him. Like, I'm just yeah. not interested. Like, yeah. he's just, he just did something to me that I just can't get over. And every time I see him wrestle, I think about his family. Uh, so, yeah. you know, it's a tough one to, to watch. But it is, you know, it, it's a good conversation to have with people that aren't aware of, like, you know, because that incident and what happened with WWE and the court case and stuff is a heavy influence on HIA now in sport and how we deal with concussions and, keep sports people safe so it's all it's all gone towards positive change in the end but i just can't i just can't not think about it if that makes sense well someone i can get behind and i absolutely love number 13 not in it for a long time but uh rocking his old school harlem heat long pants it's booker t and i think the story behind this was, I think he was suffering a bit of a groin injury and he got the uh, the, the long tights out again to, po- to possibly cover that up. But regardless, 18 seconds. Thank you. See you later. That makes, that's interesting. I did not know that, but that would explain why he had the long pants. That would explain why he was out really quick. I got really excited to see Booker T and, you know, we're getting a spin of Rudy and stuff, but that explains why we <laughs> didn't get any of that stuff. 
Yeah, good info. Can I say, I reckon Booker T, if I I have like a list of wrestlers or just famous people or just people in general that I would love to sit down and have a beer with. Booker T's on that list. How about you? Absolutely. I, I got to add Mark Henry to that list just because I got to talk to him a couple of years back and he was just the most lovely guy. And something about a massive, lovely dude who could crush your head with one hand that <laughs> just kind of appeals to me. I don't know. So yeah, I would totally... I would totally have a beer with Booker. He seems like a, a hilarious guy. And I feel like he would be like a kind of a straight shooter. You know how, when you, you, I mean, obviously, if it's a promotional thing, they're not going to, you know, give you a real peek behind the curtain. But I think Booker T's, a, he kind of calls a spade a spade. I, I think you're right. I think if you sat down in a room without microphones and a beer and asked him one simple question, he'd give you 20 minutes of ghost for sure. <laughs> Number 14, it is Joey Mercury. One half of Eminem is in. And uh, this is one of the guys that said he is going to eliminate Shawn Michaels uh, for Vince McMahon. Uh, Joey Mercury, he actually does a pretty good in this rumble, just under 30 minutes. Only eliminates the one person. But uh, one half of the, uh, as I said, the tag champs in Eminem with Melina. Uh, interesting looking back at this uh, with the dreadlocks in the hair. Obviously, he would sort of be J&J security for Seth Rollins. Was an agent with WWE, but I think he's uh, not in the good graces of WWE. I don't know if that's self-inflicted or he's done it on purpose. I don't know what the background is there, but uh, interesting seeing this seeing this time of Joey Mercury. Yeah, he's a good hand. Another great wrestler who's uh, um, you know able to come in in the middle of the rumble and, and put over some other guys. I, he... Cops a German suplex from Bobby Lashley that's just absolutely devastating. Mm. Like, Lashley throws him up in the air and almost catches him and then brings him down on the back of his head. It's, it's a, it's a crazy-ass German, and that's what Joey was there to do, and he did it great. And one I was looking forward to and absolutely loved every second of it. Number 15, Tatanka, the, uh, the Indian... The Indian, I called him the Indian guy. Um, back, I mean, we're going back to bloody early to mid two, uh, mid two thousand. We're going to early to mid nineties here. This was a flashback. If this was the uh, the mystery entrant, which was going to pop the house, I feel like it was this one. Yeah, I mean, they had as we'll get through it. They had a couple like throwback guys um, come into this rumble, but this was definitely one of them. Not expected, and I. Even though I've seen this show before and the moment this rubble started, I went, oh, okay, yeah, I know which rubble this is. I did not remember this. And when that kind of that music starts and comes out, it was like, whoa, Tatanka, okay. And then I think at first people were like, what? And then as he got in the ring, they really kind of got behind. They started doing the chop and the whoas and got into it because I think that's a kind of a sports reference from that area, which was smart to do that there because um, they knew that the crowd would get behind him. But, yeah, this was quite a, like, a bit of a moment for Tatanka. I was, I was happy for him. Uh, I think the real name is Chris, Chris Chavers, I think. A uh, bit of a low-key brag. Uh, we're LinkedIn on uh, LinkedIn professionally. Uh, <laughs> but I think, I think he's LinkedIn with uh, anyone who sends him a request. Uh, request. So, uh, and yeah, if you're on LinkedIn, uh, hit him up, uh, Tatanka. I think it's, yeah, Chris, Chris Chavers uh, there. But, no, nah, great guy. He, he lasts about 15 minutes in this, so... Nowadays, with the Rumbles, when there's a throwback, usually they don't last that long. So um, it was good to see uh, Tatanka get a bit of time in there. But uh, Joey uh, Nitro, uh, future John Morrison, the other half of uh, Eminem, is in here. And uh, he, he spends a bit of time in there, just under half an hour. Obviously, uh, I always saw him, before he uh, sort of left WWE and before he returned, I kind of saw him as the future Shawn Michaels. And I think a lot of people donned that on him as being a bit of a Shawn Michaels replacement. How did you see Johnny Morrison, Johnny Nitro? 
Um, I wasn't, uh, I didn't really kind of think of him that way back then. I kind of, I think at the time saw him where he was. I thought he was a reliable tag team partner, high fly. He's good in a team aspect. I didn't really see what other people saw. I, I, I never saw him and said, he's the next Shawn Michaels. I think my opinion of John Morrison rose a lot once he actually left WWE. I thought mm. his stuff in Lucha Underground was like, whoa, okay, he's, he, he can go. And I, I feel like once he was let off the ropes a bit outside of WWE, he kind of shot. And we've seen that with so many wrestlers. Like you, you kind of get outside WWE, you, you spread your wings and then WWE go, oh, you can do that. Great, come back. And I, So I never really saw him like that, but I, I love what he's doing now with The Miz. I think he's great in that role. He's a, he's a team player and... Um, I like I like John Morrison. Number seventeen, Trevor Murdoch, who I wasn't really familiar with as a wrestling uh, fan uh, coming back in two thousand eight, but he was a he was a tag team guy, a bit of an old school kind of wrestler. Did you know much about Trevor? I, his Murdoch? face was familiar when he came out, but I, I I'm no expert on his history. He throws a hell of a punch, a very interesting punch. It like he it comes from like. The, it's almost like he throws his arm out to the side and then comes around. It's a, if, you, if you ever get a chance to watch Trevor Murdoch throw a punch, he has a very interesting strike. The other thing is the commentators instantly roasted him when he mm. came out. Uh, uh, was it um, the Jerry Lawler said he looks like a milk bottle? <laughs> it's just like such a roast. Like he's, he hasn't even got to the ring yet, Jerry. Give him a break. But yeah, I mean, he looks different to everyone else, sure. I think there was a comment as well, like, uh, you know, so either, uh, you know, he's like a country song. It's either about his dog or his wife or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, number 18, could they get away with Eugene in today's climate? I believe they kind of could, but they probably wouldn't do it. But uh, Eugene, number 18, uh, in there, just over 15 minutes, eliminated by Chris Benoit. Um, Eugene, I know he's a bit of a... He's done the Doink character. He's done like the fill-in for Doink and other things like that. But Eugene as a character, um, I think the, the way they described him, he was like a, a wrestling savant, like uh, a like a special needs, but all of a sudden was a, this really fantastic wrestler. Could they get away with a character like that in today? Uh, that's a good question. Um, they probably could, but would they want to? I'd mm. say no. I'd say in today's climate they'd look at a character like that and say, it's just too difficult to like, it's too risky to try mm. and pull that off. I don't know. Um, so I'm going to say no, but it doesn't mean there's not something wrong. There's not anything wrong with the character and you know, the Eugene pop, because he got a crazy ass pop with his music played here. Like not only did people cheer in the crowd, but you could see all these smiles like, Oh, it's Eugene. How good is this? Yeah. And I don't think that's laughing at him. I think that's them going, we love this guy. He, he is, you know, they did go for that kind of Rain Man type character where, you know, I love that stuff he does where he comes out and he, he walks out and he's onto the entrance ramp and starts just pointing at things. Like, oh, look at that. Oh, wow. Like he's just loving everything around him. And he was a warm character, but I liked the pop he got here. People were happy to see him again. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if they could do it these days. It'd be too risky, I think. And another sad one, uh, someone who we lost uh, middle of 2020 or last year was Road Warrior Animal coming in at number 19. He got a, uh, a fairly good pop uh, as, as those goes, and I guess he was kind of one of the retro throwbacks, even though technically both Tatanka and Road Warrior Animal are part of the SmackDown brand. Right. Okay. But th this was another guy like Tatanka where I was like, huh, okay, there's, a, there's quite a few throwbacks going on in this 
this rumble. Um, and, yeah, he came out and he lasted longer than I thought he would. And, you know, he put in a good effort. He took some hits too. Like uh, RVD kicked him straight in the face at one mm. point and he just reeled back. And I was like, damn, Animal's taking it like a champ. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, if you take Triple H and uh, Rey Mysterio out of the equation, if there was a guy who could have possibly been uh, another contender to win this one, number 20, the returning Rob Van Dam, Mr. Monday Night, I think he used to call himself then, being part of the Raw brand. Uh, yeah, but I think that they were warming him up to be the face of the rebranded ECW. But uh, obviously, when he returned, great uh, ovation from the crowd. I honestly thought that uh, Rob Van Dam, they could have uh, gone with him, but I know they were going for the sentimental piece with Ray, but uh, great seeing RVD back. It was great seeing RVD back. He he is loved by the crowd. He he moves so uniquely. No one really moves like RVD. There's certain times in this rumble and just through RVD's career where you can tell he's blanked, where he's kind of just gone, oh, wait, what am I supposed to do here? Like <laughs> there's moments where he kind of stops and then there's moments also where he does too much. Like, all right, you're going to get in there and you're going to beat everyone up. But he did it for like three minutes. He just kept running around the ring, kicking this guy in the face, kicking this guy, drop kick, spin kick, da-da-da. And everyone's like, all right, okay, <laughs> enough. But he just kept going. Like, there's an interesting thing about RBD where he sometimes, I guess, makes a judgment in a match or in a moment that's probably not the best judgment. <laughs> but he just kind of goes with it. And you've you got to almost tell him to stop. All right, go. All right, if he, okay, RBD, stop. <laughs> but he's an incredible, incredible wrestler, and it's great to see him here. Number 21, and I'm, I'd have to do a little bit of research. I'm not sure if he's still based in Australia. Uh, Orlando Jordan uh, coming in at number 21 there. He used to be, I think, JBL's assistant at some stage. Uh, left WWE under very uh, sus circumstances. Uh, has a little bit of a reputation, but uh, I'm not sure if he's still based in Australia. If last time I checked, he was uh, living out of Melbourne and I think potentially running a, a wrestling school. I'm not sure if that's still a thing, but uh, did you know much about Orlando Jordan? Uh, at this time, no. I don't even know uh, much about what's happening with him now. I had no idea he was in Australia. Um, I had no idea that there was controversy around him. I, I guess I just never kind of kept up with Orlando Jordan. But uh, my last memories of Orlando Jordan, was it was it TNA mm. where he was like kind of wearing the police tape around him and stuff and he was acting yeah. almost like a Goldust type character? Yeah. And I, I, I was fine with it. But um, no, I don't, I'm not... I'm no expert on Orlando Jordan, that's for sure. Number 22, Chavo Guerrero uh, coming in at, uh, yeah, 22. And he's he's not long for this rumble, but he gets the three amigos in. I think it's on uh, Triple H or one of the guys that have been there for quite some time. Gets the three amigos. Looks as if he's going to do the tribute with the frog splash, but then, no, it's actually Triple H who eliminates him and pushes him off the turnbuckle, lasting just under a minute to the second. Yeah, emotional entrance for him. You could tell the crowd chanting Eddie and Eddie and stuff was was really good. But I'm glad that Chavo was here because mm. if Chavo was not here, that could have been Ray coming yeah. in with the emotional connection and then Triple H turfing him for the heat. Because this was to get Triple H over as the real scoundrel. How yeah. could you? How could you eliminate Chavo Guerrero that early? I'm glad that Chavo was here, although it sucks for Chavo. That could have been Ray coming in, having the emotional moment, and then Triple H turfing him for the heat. So 
although it's a bummer for Chavo, it, it, it worked out in the end, I think. Number 23, Matt Hardy, uh, representing the SmackDown brand. Uh, he's in there for just under eight minutes. Uh, good seeing Matt Hardy here, uh, especially this version of Matt Hardy. He just uh, This was just after the whole Edge feud with the whole leader. Very real-life type of situation that happened there. Um, and I, I guess this... Every time you see Matt Hardy, especially these days, and um, I guess as a young wrestling fan, I was a big Jeff Hardy fan, which I think a lot of uh, wrestling fans were. But a lot of people slept on Matt Hardy, and especially, I guess he's kind of getting his, you know, people are just realizing now, or, you know, the past few years, how great of a wrestler and a wrestling mind Matt Hardy is. Yeah, I don't think they appreciated him as they do now back then. I think, uh, like you said, he just come off that interesting, very interesting feud with... Uh, edge and leader and you know that kind of affected his life as well as his work but uh it felt a little bit like he was treading ground here but they did use him as almost like one of those decoys in the rumble you know like in the rumble they like to set up a handful of people who are a chance to win and i did notice in the intro video they showed some matt hardy and him talking in the intro of this show so and at no point was i like i don't think matt hardy's gonna win i, I, ne- I never thought he could win it I think one of the, the, the memes back in the day was because Matt Hardy would always say, Matt Hardy will not die. And people said, Matt Hardy will not die it. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a little bit bigger at this phase. Yeah, yeah. He hadn't, he hadn't broken the diet scheme yet. No, well, that, that's my motto. I will not die it. Because, yeah, I'm uh, trying to lose a couple of kgs and it's, uh, it's uh, tough stuff. It's tough stuff when you, when you get a bit older, Rose. Yeah, forget it. Forget it. Just stay fat. <laughs> it's a happy life. <laughs> Number 24, old school ECW fame, super crazy, part of the Mexicools uh, with Psychosis. Um, I, I knew that super crazy was a, he was the, the last in years of uh, ECW was a really great athlete and did some crazy stuff, hence the name super crazy. I don't have much of a background other than just knowing he was an old ECW guy and I don't think his WWE run was overly long or I, I don't have much of a background. Do you know much more about super crazy? Um, I, I, all I know adding on to that is that he was very respected, uh, in Mexico, uh, and he'd had a very incredible career there. And I think this was similar to the Shinsuke Nakamura run of, I've done everything I've wanted in my own country. I want to come to the States and and give it a run. And it's great to see him here having a go, but, um, obviously, you know, uh, didn't quite reach the heights that maybe he'd hoped, but I do know that. He is heavily respected and and I always think of that in those moments where he comes out and the crowd doesn't really react. I know somewhere in the world there is a home crowd going crazy for him at that moment. Just and and I kind of similar to say when we're Aussies and we see an Aussie come out that maybe the the core fans don't care about to us, we're like, Yes, it's an Aussie. So I, I know that there were people cheering him on in that moment. He did have a great spot a little bit later when we get to Viscera where he was like grabbing onto the ropes and Viscera was trying to like almost like, you know, when you get all your cords wrapped up behind your TV and they're all, and you're trying to release one cord from all the other cords. He's like wrapped himself around the ropes like that. And this massive Viscera is just trying to like get a hand free or something. And super crazy just would not move. It was the best strategy. And I, th- yeah, I know the one you're talking about. And I think um, Viscera gets a little bit frustrated and just gives him a bit of a, a stiff one either on the back or in the face. And you can't, you kind of hear it. I think it kind of echoes uh, in the crowd. Yes, I think Viscera was genuine. I think he was like, <laughs> you're making me look stupid on television, mate. Let go of these ropes. And he, he whacked him right in the guts and then one in the head. 
and super crazy let go. But that'd be my strategy. If I was forced to be in a rumble, I would enter and then immediately hug a rope and not let go. Number 25, Mr. WrestleMania, the heartbreak kid himself. Shawn Michaels comes in, lasts just under 13 minutes. Now, we'll talk about stories that are getting told through the rumble. And uh, I guess this one was only telling a couple stories, which was Ray, Triple H, the uh, Eddie tribute there. This would be the, the basically the second story, which is Shawn Michaels and his uh, feud with uh, horny Vince McMahon, uh, I think we've dubbed him today. But uh, obviously, Shawn Michaels, you know, obviously, I mean, what else can you say about the, the Heartbreak Kids? Done it all. Great. Obviously, a very great hand here. Does his bits. Gets some sweet chin music in there. Uh, does a few eliminations. And it's interesting. Uh, he eliminates the Eminem guys who said they're going to try to eliminate him for Vince McMahon and then eventually eliminates uh, Shelton Benjamin. And as soon as Shelton Benjamin gets uh, eliminated, the uh, iconic music of Vince McMahon, No Chance in Hell, and it's it's a, all a ploy as an, a distraction for then the son of Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, to come in and eliminate Shawn Michaels. Yeah, a little bit of father-son uh, swerve here with Bro. Shane McMahon. Uh, yeah, exactly. Eliminating... Uh, Shawn Michaels and then doing his classic Shane dance in a very nice black suit. I've got to say, mm. Shane's suit was lovely. Uh, he made his dad look like a pauper in his nice black suit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Vince, uh, there was an awkward moment at the end there where Shane throws him out and Shane dances in the ring for quite a amount of time, quite a long time. I don't know if he was waiting for something, but um, Shawn kind of, kind of goes, I'm going to get you and jumps back in the ring uh, and Shane books it. And, all, you know, all this stuff happens, but they get – Shane runs away. So he runs up the ramp and through into gorilla position, and Vince just kind of awkwardly stands on the stage, and yeah. Shawn Michaels runs after Shane and then kind of sees Vince there and says, oh, you'll do, and, and goes after him. And Vince goes, hey, it wasn't me. It was my son. He's over there. <laughs> Vince completely just throws his son under the bus and says, it wasn't me. It was my son. He did it. You've got to get him. And then – Sean kind of thinks for a second, like, should I punch the boss? And then goes, no, I'll chase after the sun. And then leaves. All very awkward, that situation. But I do remember I'd forgotten about because this led to the Vince Michaels match at WrestleMania, right? Correct. I forgot about that match and forgot about that happening until Vince came out and stood there yelling at Sean. I, I got the flash of Sean Michaels off the ladder into a, onto Vince with the bit on his head on the table, that crazy-ass spot that they do. Mm -hmm. Was that Vince? Yeah, yeah. yeah and that I, was him, I yeah. had that I had that flash. I was like, oh, that leads to that. Oh, well, then this is great then. <laughs> I don't know how people felt at the time, but in hindsight, I was like, that's a great spot. So I love how you like Vince McMahon threw his son under the bus there. Oh, it, it, it was Shane. This is, I mean, uh, on Friday, Australian time, it was um, January 15. Yes, yeah, Shane McMahon's birthday. This is a guy who has done tweets to Triple H and all other wrestlers and everyone giving him a good, you know, little tweet saying the greatest wrestler or all these compliments. But when it was Shane McMahon's birthday, happy birthday at Shane McMahon. I love it. I love it. I mean, a, a dad like Vincent, man, of course you're going to be harder on your son than any other person. <laughs> you know, he has so many children, in inverted commas, in wrestling, but Shane will always cop it the most because he's actually his son and, and, and Vince will be hard on him. So I kind of love that. I hope they're sitting behind laughing at that stuff. I hope that's just a joke to them that everyone thinks he doesn't love his son. <laughs> Number 26, the masterpiece, Chris Masters. Uh, this is sort of when he, early on in uh, Chris Masters' career um, where he, he's the, the masterpiece and they're, I guess, trying to give him a bit of a push here. Uh, I guess... Uh, 
I don't know. How did you see Chris Masters here? I mean, uh, he'd go on to have a so-so career, I guess you could say. Came back again, but was just always that mid-car type of player. Yeah, this gave me a very much a Lex Luger, the narcissist vibe. Mm. And I never jumped at Lex Luger. And I just feel nothing about Chris Masters at this moment. Like, they've got the... And also, you know, when they have someone that I'm not invested in and they present them with such fanfare like when he comes out firstly that cape he was wearing was ridiculous they should be ashamed <laughs> of themselves it looks so silly like it's purple cape with like silver spots all over it. he looked like he was about to do a magic trick and yeah. then then they just all this pyro just for him taking it off and showing his muscles and oh a specimen a specimen i just didn't buy it and i think when they you know like when the rock debuted and they tried to sell him as this certain character and everyone went nah not buying it. It's the same thing with Chris Masters. I just didn't, I'm not invested. So if Lex had the Lex Express, what would the, what would Chris Masters have? Um, uh, well, if it was 2020, he'd have the master lockdown where he'd, uh, <laughs> he'd had everyone sitting really at good. home wearing masks. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no, all right. I don't think we're going to peak more than that. Let's move on. Number 27, Viscera, the world's largest love machine. Now, if there's a gimmick, if there's, if, if, if there's a gimmick for Viscera, King Mabel, that you're going to stick to, I think this one has to be the most memorable. Why? Why, Joel, <laughs> did WWE feel the need to make every large black man in their history a sex machine? Why, why they've always got to be sexual chocolate or the loving man or... I don't understand what it is, but I, that's, is, is the idea that they're not sexy, so that's why they act sexy? Is that the joke, Vince? I don't get why he feels the need to make these large sexy men but you know more of him to love i guess is the thinking but how did vince pitch the, the world's largest love machine to viscera oh boy well, it's obviously us oh, brother there's more of you to love you're gonna be a sex machine we're gonna keep you in the same dumb outfit but we're gonna make you sexy and women are gonna be appalled and aroused by you at the same time <laughs> I don't get it, man. It's that bastard thing, right? Like from um, Austin Powers. Like, oh, I'm sexy. It's, I'm getting sexy. Look at you. You're crap. I'm <laughs> getting my belly. So I think that's just Vince going, this is funny. It's just Vince shit, you know? I, I don't buy it. But Viscera was always a, kind of an awkward character anyways. Number 28, Shelton Benjamin and his mama sends him out to war. Uh, Shelton Benjamin, uh, he kind of had a bit of a uh, the feud here. I think his feud here, obviously he said that he wants to eliminate Shawn Michaels, but he had that great match with Shawn Michaels, whether it was the year before on Raw, where he's jumping from the turnbuckle and, and cops that super kick here. But look, looking back, Shelton Benjamin was always, you could always re- rely on him being that very athletic performer, whether it be in like a TLC or a Money in the Bank match that was going to do something ridiculous ridiculous just because he could easily one of the most underused wrestlers i guess i, I mean it's hard it's judgment for me to say because he had a great career made a lot of money and did a lot of good stuff but he never was the guy but he mm. has all the skills to be the guy like yeah. the dude can wrestle i mean his promo isn't amazing but like you've just got to put him with the right people like look at him in the hurt business now with mvp as a mouthpiece fantastic work and like you said that that super kick with Shawn Michaels when he springboards into the super kick is one of the greatest moves in the history of wrestling, if you ask me. I could watch that as a gif on repeat all night and not get sick of it. It's just one of the most beautifully executed things I've ever seen. And like you said, 
he was he was Mr. Money in the Bank for a while there. He would run up ladders and do crazy stuff in those Money in the Bank matches. Shelton Benjamin just... I hope one day when he retires, he gets the love and respect that he deserves and put in a Hall of Fame and all that stuff because he is the man. Number 29, an entry that uh, fell a little bit flat in, with, in front of this Miami crowd, which I don't know because I've always been a big fan, is Goldust. And it was a bit of a return here for uh, the, I guess, what he used to call himself? The bizarre one, Goldust. This was surprising, right? How little they reacted to him. Yeah. Because, I mean, especially the Attitude Era, he was one of the main players, you know, that androgynous uh, character and just sort of fell a bit flat. Uh, I think I think it's a victim of maybe his positioning. I know... Uh there can be some anger in rumbles at some points when they're getting towards the end and people feel like there hasn't been a big enough star or hasn't been big enough surprises. And this definitely was one that lacked with the big returns mm. and you're getting towards the end. I always think of the one where Daniel Bryan wasn't in it and they booed the hell out of Ray Mysterio coming yeah. in at number 30. Yeah. It's not Ray's fault. He's just a victim of that circumstance. And I think Goldust was a victim of that circumstance. Now they know that 20, that, that, that Randy Orton is going to be one of the last two. And when it's gold dust at 29, so I think they were not bummed that it was gold dust. I think they were bummed it wasn't someone else. And uh, because of that, gold dust suffered a little, but I'm happy to think about it as he came back at this point, but stayed back and did so many great things going forward from here. So even though it was a bit of a dud return, he did good shit after this. And I, I was happy to see him back. And rounding out the Royal Rumble 2006, number 30, the legend killer, Randy Orton. Uh, he sort of, like I said, rounds out this Rumble. He lasts about 13 minutes in there. It obviously would be the final two, which is then Rey Mysterio uh, and Randy Orton. But uh, your final uh, four, you had the likes of uh, Rob Van Dam, uh, Triple H, Rey Mysterio, and Randy Orton. That was your final four. And... A bit of teamwork from Ray and RVD there. It, I think you saw a few times that uh, Ray Mysterio, I think he was either trying to call spots or you said earlier that RVD looked a little bit perhaps confused, maybe uh, doing a bit of too much of the 420. Don't know. Um, but Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it might be something to do with that. Like It might be that he kind of in certain moments loses his way because, like you said, the final four, right? The, the classic is that all four of them are in a corner looking at each other. And there's a moment where Triple H is in a corner Randy's in a corner, Ray's in a corner, and RVD is just kind of standing at the ropes, looking at the crowd, you know, pointing at himself, waving at people in the fourth row. And you can see that they cut to Triple H and he just stares darts at Rob. He's just like, dude, turn around. We're all waiting for you to get into this moment. And then Ray just has enough at one point and goes, Rob, Rob, and like screams across the ring to Rob. And Rob turns around and goes, oh, oh, shit, shit. And like, gets into his corner position and they have that moment. And that maybe that was the moment where I'm like, he's just a bit out of it. Like he's just not really paying attention. <laughs> oh, that's so Rob. That's so RVD. That should be a, a, a show or a segment. <laughs> That'd be a great sitcom. That's so RVD. So final four there, obviously RVD uh, gets uh, eliminated by Ray Mysterio inadvertently. And then it's uh, former evolution teammates, uh, Triple H and Randy Orton gang up on, Ray Mysterio. Ray Mysterio fantastically eliminates Triple H, but then uh, RKO, RKO delivered to Ray Mysterio. Ray Mysterio is flat out, all done. You think, you know, all Randy Orton has to do is get little Ray, throw him over the ropes, but uh, obviously Randy Orton hasn't, hasn't done his research uh, with uh, the likes of Royal Rumbles. He does uh, what the Big Show did to The Rock in uh, 2000, 
gets him up on on his shoulders and just thinks, oh, I'm just going to run towards the ropes and chuck him out. No, no, no. Obviously, great reversal from Rey Mysterio. Hurricanrana and Randy Orton is out of there. Rey Mysterio, your 2006 Royal Rumble winner. Probably some of the hottest last three or four minutes of a match I've ever seen. Like, when Ray eliminates Triple H, like, they were there from the beginning. Yeah. And when he... That reaction, the mics can't even pick it up. It's just distortion. Everyone in that entire arena screams at the top of their voice simultaneously when Triple H is eliminated. And it's just this... It's just like this distortion. Because I listen to it with headphones on. Mm. So it was just such an incredible pop. And then, and then it comes down to, you know, Randy can really slow it down and do that thing he does so well, which is just pace around his opponent with a smug smile on his face. He does that so good. And you just kind of is sitting there stewing going, get up, Ray, destroy this guy. Like he's so smug. He thinks he can just come in at the end of the rumble and take it. What a piece of shit. And it was just beautifully told. And, when he reverses Randy, the place goes nuts. Ray's in tears. He's pointing up to Eddie. It's just, it's, you know, it's one of those moments where they did what everyone wanted to see and it worked. And I, that's what I love about wrestling when that happens. And roll the credits. Game over. Show over. No, we still the have end. two see title you later. matches. We still what? have two title matches. Come on. Ugh. Jesus. All right. And great storytelling here. Obviously, they show they do a shot at the back where it's Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Rey Mysterio, of course, and I'm missing someone. I feel like I'm missing a name. Or yeah, I think it was Chavo. It, yeah, the old WCW contingent and uh, you know guys who were basically Eddie Guerrero's guys. Um, you know, congratulating him. And uh, who has to spoil this perfect little moment? The rated R superstar uh, Edge and Lita. So good. Edge Edge is an incredible promo. And at this moment, I had the same reaction. I'm like, oh, man, that's not the end of the show. Are you kidding me? And then Edge starts talking. I'm like, now I want to see Edge wrestle. But it's just yeah. something about this Edge. Like, he just he just hit the top. Mm. He'd been put up there with the with this briefcase. It's almost like, uh, you know, reminding me of when The Miz got that chance to really kind of step up into the main event. And Edge is just fantastic here. He just... The way he talks down to Ray, the way they tie in last year's Rumble, uh, you're not going to do what so-and-so did last year. That wouldn't be very smart of you. And just beautiful kind of tying into it all. And then the, the, the best bit is like Edge finishes his speech berating Ray and as he walks away, he just gives him a little golf clap as he like backs away from Ray. Like, oh, good effort though in your Rumble. Bit. Good effort. Loved this from Edge. I was just smiling ear for me. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say uh, at this time, Ray Mysterio, he broke the longevity uh, record uh, for lasting one hour, two minutes and 12 seconds or 13 seconds, depending on where you get your sources from. Previous record held by Chris Benoit lasting one hour, one minute, 30 seconds in the 2004 Rumble. And I'm pretty sure, excluding the likes of the Greatest Royal Rumble and things like that, that that still stands today. Incredible effort. I mean, he's got to have some serious cardio, right, to be able to pull that off. But yeah, amazing effort. And he started it all when he was 15 years old in Mexico. And uh, it, you know, it technically, he's still going today. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was great. When he won, the, the commentators really kind of sold that lifelong journey really, really well. I thought it was great. 
Now we have the WWE Championship match. Edge defended his title against John Cena. And uh, this weird little stage decided to, uh, I guess, come down from the ceiling. And I'm thinking, oh, the, the commentators are describing it as a, as a spaceship. And I'm like, no, it, it, it's a stage. Oh, it, you're right, it does look like a spaceship. No, it, it, it's a stage. Uh, anyway, uh, a, a big fancy entrance for uh, John Cena to uh, make his entrance uh, here for the title uh, match. Yeah, a weird one. I'm trying to think what the influence is, and I think I've I think I've got it. I think it's Limp Biscuit okay. because Limp Biscuit were kind of a thing around this time, and they had a stage setup that was kind of similar. They had this kind of almost spaceship, and then the band would come out of a spaceship, and there'd be all this smoke shooting down underneath. I, I think they, I, whether it's directly Limp Biscuit, they definitely took influence from like music and and they've seen it at a concert or something and they built this weird ass stage it was mm. so strange and i remember when i first watched this i was like dude they're giving edge the best this is going to be an epic edge entrance here and it's cena yeah and like, he comes out and he's <laughs> kicking confetti and i'm like oh man and then edge just comes out Edge just enters the champion yeah. gets nothing i just thought that was really weird well the old saying back in the 80s, you know, even when uh, it was a main event and Hulk Hogan didn't win or there was some type of uh, schmozzle at the end, Hulk must pose. John Cena must have great entrance. You know, I think it was that type of mentality, perhaps. Yeah, I, the one bummer is I wish they'd used that weird spaceship uh, stage in the match. Like, if they could yeah. somehow get their way up to that. Because when Cena enters the ring, it's kind of, it, it slopes down to the top of the ropes and he just jumps into the ring. I was like, man, there's so much you could do with that in mm. a match, like running along the stage and diving into someone on the ring. I just, there was one hope that they would get involved with that staging, but no, it just, it came down, it brought Cena out and then it disappeared. What I liked about the promo leading up to this, and it was at the start of the show, I think before this match, uh, Edge sort of says the term, it's a, it's a very insider term if you think about it. He goes, I'm not a transitional champion. And that was, I, I guess, an inside term because usually back in the day, someone who, like one of the main champions would have it, they would lose it to the transitional guy who would then put it on another big guy. The two big guys wouldn't face each other because they would want to save that for later on down the road or what have you. But a very insider reference there. Were you surprised that that was kind of used or was that kind of commonplace? Back then, it probably would have been a little surprising. Nowadays, I think we're so used to the lines blurring that that kind of comment wouldn't affect you. But yeah, definitely at that time, that was something I hadn't really heard before and was a bit of a surprise. Um, but yeah, they're trying to tell a story with with Edge that he's a smarmy, cheating, advantageous son of a gun and uh, he has the belt because of it. And I, and I, I, I kind of liked it. I mean, overall, the, the match was pretty great. I'd have to say the match was a hell of a lot better than what the Angle-Mark Henry match would be. But obviously, the, um, that finished for uh, said reasons previously that we discussed, and we'll go on a bit further. Great match. These guys would go on to have a fantastic rivalry. Um, were you surprised that uh, they took the title off uh, Edge? Do you think that, again, this is, this is uh, uh, you know, uh, a fan, you know, trying to make sense of something that I have no idea about. But if they're going to go, all right, we're going to go with Ray we don't want to go with an unknown and technically Edge is an unknown. He hasn't main evented a, a WrestleMania at this point. We we would want to go with John Cena, who we know is proven. Is is that it? Or am I just thinking way too much into that? Uh, no, I, th- I think that's valid. I was surprised that Cena wanted back here. This was maybe the first time that I can think of that was like Cena wins lol. 
like that was yeah. kind of like <laughs> Cena wins, ha 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 ha. Um, and yeah, I got that vibe because you could hear some boos. You could hear some boos for Cena in this match, not as heavy as it obviously got at one point, but there was that kind of vibe of people like, well, Edge is the new guy. I'm behind Edge. Um, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of leader fans out there as well. So, yeah, I was surprised, especially leading up to WrestleMania, that they would just flip it back onto Cena. But he was the guy. He was massive at that point. Uh, and they obviously had a plan. But like you said, the two of these guys have great chemistry. Uh, and watching this makes me so excited for Edge to come back again because I, I just love watching Edge wrestle. He's a, a fantastic wrestler. Uh, taps out to the uh, not the fu the uh, what's it called what's the, his submission move John Cena, John uh, Cena it was called at this point it was called the STFU that's the one yeah he <laughs> just another interesting one I thought maybe if he got knocked out inadvertently from leader that could protect him but uh, no he taps out here so it's like oh okay fair enough uh, championship back on Cena good match though um, and then we uh, go to the Kurt Angle Mark Henry main event uh, we get a bit of a backstory there and. I'm so confused because I'm so... I was not in wrestling at all at this time. Uh, Batista gets injured. They do a battle royal. Kurt Angle wins that. I just remember Kurt Angle being this arrogant heel, but he could do comedy, but he could also do serious quite well. And they obviously crossed to an interview with Josh Matthews and Kurt Angle. And obviously, it's a very serious MMA Kurt Angle at this stage of his career. He's got the mouth guard and all that sort of thing. And just for me, I was just so used to growing up with the serious but can-be-funny comedic uh, Kurt Angle, and he was the bad guy, that this match just confused me because he, I'm guessing, was the face and Mark Henry was the heel in this match. But he cheated like a heel would and won. And I was just kind of confused by this one main eventing uh until obviously the closing stages of the show, but this just—this was just a bad head, scr- head scratch. I'm like, is Kurt Angle the good guy? I mean, I was just confused as just as a bit of a throwback. Hundred percent, man. I'm with you because I forgot about the Undertaker segment at the end of this show until I saw it. So the whole way through this show, I was like, weird. The Rumbles in the middle. Why wouldn't you put Cena uh, Edge last mm. if you wanted to have a title match last? If, you, if your thinking is the titles are more important than the Rumble, then mm. put. Cena winning it back last. So when this match started, excuse me, I was the same as you. Who's the good guy here? Uh, <laughs> Angle, Angle's the champ. He seems rather serious about his challenge, but also seems like he can handle it. Like it wasn't like they showed that footage of um, Mark Henry kicking out of the ankle lock and, and, and hurling um, Kurt to the outside, which great work by Kurt there. But Kurt just had this surprised look on his face, not a scared look. and then. In that promo before the match, he's like, yeah, no, I can do this. I'm Kurt mm. Angle. And yeah. you're like, okay, well, then what are we watching for? Like, you don't seem that worried. And then, you know, I, I, I have no idea how Davari fits it. Was it Davari? Yeah, Davari, yeah. yeah. I have no idea how he fits into this, but he's with Mark Henry. Fair enough. You know, he's there to point at how large Mark Henry is. <laughs> and I think if – I'm a little bit biased because, you know, like I said, I got to meet and talk to Mark Henry and – because of that, I now love the man oh, more than anyone in the world. Amazing man. But back then, I would have no idea who he was. And I was just like, this guy's slow. It's, it's a bit of a great Carly vibe going on here. Like, do I care? Mm. And then the, because of that, the match was very slow. Big man, small man. Yep. They did what they could, but there's a lot of Kurt Angle trying to do something and then Mark Henry just clobbering him and then close-up shots of Kurt Angle's face in pain while the commentators go, wow, how could they... Look at the strength of this guy. You know, it's 
there's not much you can really do there. So it really like up in the first couple of minutes of this match, I got that sinking feeling of like, oh no, they shouldn't have put this last. And then you start seeing empty seats. People are leaving early. And we talk about concussions uh, earlier with Chris Benoit. The chair shots that Mark Henry took, wowee. God, dude, like two of the most hellacious headshots uh, with chairs. And again, it just like the women's stuff in those, you know, horn dog Vince segments earlier, you go back and you look at that and go, that was how it was at the time. And I'm glad we've gotten a point in their careers or their livelihoods because of that stuff anymore. We've evolved as an industry and that's not as commonplace. But my God, did 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 Kurt Angle owe Mark Henry some receipts or something? Because he absolutely walloped him twice in the forehead. Like, crazy. So, a bit of a forgetful match. It's really This was really garnished for what was the closing stages of the Royal Rumble. Kurt Angle uh, defeats uh, Mark Henry, I think, with a roll-up while holding the rope. Again, cheating. Is this guy a face? Is this guy a heel? I, I guess just for this match, he was the face because the crowd were basically saying Mark Henry sucks when Kurt Angle was uh, coming out because usually the, the whole you suck is at Kurt Angle, but it was directed at Mark Henry. Confusing. It was in Miami. But closing stages... The the gong of the Undertaker's music, and uh, he comes out in my favourite on a chariot with horses. Yeah, this made me nervous. I mean, I, I, it's great to see him out on a chariot with horses, but I mean, there's a lot going on. There's like dudes with like flames. There's like monks with flames. There's smoke. There's lights. There's the, the rings collapsing and explosions going off. Those horses could freak out. There's like thousands and thousands of people there. I was just really hoping one of those horses didn't like buck. And like kick Undertaker straight the side of the head or something as he gets mm. on the chair. It made me very nervous, but yeah, he, he kind of essentially gave him the Undertaker look, which is you know as we know over the years means you know I think you're the guy for WrestleMania, uh, and that what that's what this vibe felt like. And he had the Druids, of course. And would you know it? Guess who one of the Druids were? None other than John Moxley, aka Dean Ambrose. Uh, who wouldn't really go on to much of a career. Yeah. No, I never really heard of him. That's amazing. Ah. I did not know that. The Mox was one of the Druids. How yeah. good. But my obviously my favourite part was the Undertaker using his Undertaker powers, or his Undertaker powers, I like to call them, and uh, <laughs> zapping the ring and the ring collapses. Yes, it was very Emperor from Star Wars, wasn't it? Like, yeah, you know, yes, very. Uh, to the dark, dark side. side. He just <laughs> all came out of his fingers. So... I mean, it was cool. It, was, it would have been an amazing moment in the in the crowd for that ring to collapse and stuff and Kurt Angle looking a bit stunned and Kurt Angle sold it pretty well. But yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a hell of a way to end a rumble leading towards WrestleMania. And I guess in retrospect, watching this, sort of knowing about it at the time, but then uh, re-watching it for this, how would this rumble as a whole hold up, I guess, uh, with other rumbles? Um, yeah, good question. I think... Uh, the Royal Rumble match itself lacked uh, a certain level of star power that I think we've come to assume from a Rumble. Mm. That's not necessarily WWE's fault. It might just be happenstance of where they are in the world. But the finishing of it is one of the most feel-good and emotional endings to a Rumble ever. So I think you look back at that Rumble as one of the best because of the Ray story and how they told it. I think the Cena-Edge match was fantastic, but everything else on the card I probably could have 
take it or leave. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, as it lo- as it's looked back, it's definitely one of the not so popular ones, but it does have its moments. I think everyone always likes to go back to uh, either 2001, 97's a good one, uh, 92 with Flair. But I tell you one that sort of get that, that gets uh, that gets slept on a little bit, which is actually quite a good rumble. 1990. What's that one? Uh, that's the one where Hogan wins, but it sets up uh, Ultimate Warrior and Hogan at WrestleMania. I want to watch that again now. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, that was uh, the 15-year anniversary of uh, the Royal Rumble 2006. Very much dated with uh, Horny Vince uh, or oh, Horny McMahon. Horny Vince. <laughs> horny. Horny Vince. He's horny, 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 horny tonight. <laughs> uh, it will cue, uh, oh, what's the, the, the artist's name has forgotten me. DJ, please help me out. Oh, God, who did Horny? Was it Madison Avenue that did? Nah, I'm nah. horny, 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 horny. <laughs> yeah. Who did that song? Oh, it was someone from the '90s or mid '90s or early 2000s. But um, yeah, it, this it's dated. But again, I love looking back at these shows. One to see how far WWE has kind of came, have come in the times, but also looking back in retrospect, it's great. And uh, Andrew Rose, the voice of PWA Wrestling, thank you very much for taking the time to, one, watch this show with your fellow workmates who are probably scratching their heads a lot of the time <laughs> uh, but uh, and talking about it with me. It's greatly appreciated. Joel, it's my pleasure. And can I just quickly give a shout-out to Moose T, the DJ who made I'm Horny in, the 90, <laughs> in 1999. Moose T, for everyone Moose that wants T. to catch it on YouTube. Um, no, thank you, mate. I really appreciate it. And the thing I love about your show is that you forced me to watch old wrestling shows that I don't think I would have ever gotten around to watch in my own time. And because of that, uh, I had a great time watching it and I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And I'm trying to make this a regular thing because this year in particular, uh, the 15-year anniversary, 20-year anniversaries, 25-year anniversaries of some great milestones in wrestling, uh, just to name a few, the uh, formation of the NWO, uh, WrestleMania 17, uh, the Invasion Angle, uh, a lot of uh, anniversary events are coming up this year and we definitely have to get you back on the show to cover those as well. Absolutely. I'd love to, man. The voice of PWA, it is Andrew Rose. Rose, uh, thank you very much for taking the time. Peace, brother. 